0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Central South Carolina. We thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from the Word of God, and we pray that God will both bless you and speak to you as you listen and apply His Word to your life.
1: There's a way that must be lifted. There's a trophy to be
0: won. Turn your eyes upon jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth the things in this earth the troubles of this earth the desires of this earth the pain of this earth the problems in this earth will grow strangely dim
1: There's nothing quite like facing
0: some trials. Amen. I mean, there's I mean, there's some times that you face some trials, whether it be sickness or death or hardship. Uh, just this week, certainly, I mean, my family—we've lived that out. Ella's lived that out. Nothing. There, there's very little that watching a child suffer in pain and you not be able to do anything about it—that'll bring some emotion. Some frustration, some even some anger uh, my boys may not like it when I say this, but it's even worse when it's your daughter. That's probably worse for Tracy when it's one of the boys. That's just how that works, but uh, uh when it's your little girl, and then I've got church stuff and family stuff and brother stuff and parent stuff and soccer stuff. And then this next week we celebrate Andrew stuff for those that have known me for a while. My friend Andrew Swift, it'll be two years, October 6th, that he passed away. And we're preparing for a worship prayer service um, on his anniversary there at Haley's house. And as I think of all those things, lots of things in this earth, that trouble us. But when I turn my eyes on him, it does. It doesn't go away, but it gets dim. Thank you for that song.
1: Open your Bibles, if you would, again, to Mark 12. Mark
0: 12. And I want to bring this message, the direction sin Will take you. Now, when I titled this, I had one thought of emphasis, which may surprise you. And then as I continue to study and continue to pray and continue to read, it shifted a little bit, and we'll end that way, but um wanna help you understand what was going on here in this parable. And I, I hope that you will learn some things and be encouraged by some things. And also convicted of some things as we share what I believe God has laid on my heart for you. Let me go ahead and read again the word of God. But before I do, hold your Bible up over your head and say along with me, this is the word of God. I will read it. I will believe it. And I will obey it by the grace of God. Verse 1, and he began. Now this is Jesus now. Began to speak unto them. By parables now our Bibles as editors and 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 you could even say God helped orchestrate this but our editors of the Bible put chapters and verses in places for a reason and it's very helpful but understand as I've tried to teach you and I'm sure other pastors and teachers have taught you as well every chapter doesn't mean the changing of the page or Changing of topic in chapter 12 is no exception to that. Chapter 12, verse 1, is a continuation. This section of scripture is a continuation from the end of chapter 11, meaning it's part of the same conversation. They were questioning Jesus' authority, and Jesus said, Tell me about John was it of heaven or was it of earth? And they said, We can't tell you. And Jesus says, Neither am I going to tell you by what. Power or what authority, I do the things I do and say the things I say. And then he turned it around on them. Before he let them get away, before they left, he said, Now let me tell you something. A certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it and digged a place for the wine fat and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen... And went into a far country. So here we see, just kind of give you the context now, it's a story. Now before I go any farther, let me just say this: What was a parable, or what was the purpose of a parable? And let me try to give you my definition of a parable. a parable and this is not just my definition. I got this from a former pastor, and he got probably from a former pastor, but it is a heavenly story with an earthly meaning. It's not a literal thing that happened, necessarily. It's a a metaphor, or it's a a heavenly story with an earthly meaning. Um, And so, therefore, understand that's what a parable is. Uh, At the same time, understand that we learned back in Mark chapter 4, if you remember, the disciples asked him about parables, and he said, The parable is that those who are without, I'm paraphrasing now, but those who are without won't understand it completely. But those who are within, you will or can. And so therefore, when we look at a parable, understand it's not always what it appears to be on the surface. There's more to it than that. And so therefore, he's telling a parable, but in this parable, they at least got part of it because it says down in in, in verse 12, they realized that he was talking about them, the religious leaders. And so before I continue reading, I want you to turn over to Isaiah chapter 5, because I want to stop right there with the... Landowner who builds the vineyard. So turn, in your, if you would, in your Old Testament to Isaiah chapter 5. Because we sometimes, and if you're not familiar with this parable, or even if you are, you may not realize the connection that the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders that were there questioning him at that time, certainly would have understood. And that is this, Isaiah chapter 5 is the picture or the metaphor of Israel as a vineyard. Verse 1, now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved. Now the well-beloved would be the Son of God, a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it. And gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. Now it's a picture of Israel, and he did everything he could for Israel. And now we're seeing the same picture over in chapter 12 that we see a vineyard with a hedge. A, a wine press and, and a, uh, a place in the rock dug out where the when the wine was pressed out, the juice would run down into. There's a tower there that was set up for storage as well as uh, a watchman to be able to watch what's going on around the hedge, the wall that's there for the protection. And then he builds all that, and then he goes away and he lets it out Rents it out to some workers to do the work. And that would have been a picture of the religious leaders that were given the responsibility of caring for the vineyard, Israel. But they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Keep reading. And then the season he went to the husbandman, a servant, or he sent to the husbandman a servant that he might receive from the husbandman of the fruit of the vineyard. Or get his rent, basically. Get his profits. And they caught him and they beat him and sent him away empty. And again, he sent unto them another servant and at him, they cast stones or tried to stone him and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handled. And again he sent another, and to him they killed, and many others beating some and killing some, having therefore one son, his well-beloved, remember that word, he sent him also last unto them, saying, they will reverence my son. But those husbandmen say among themselves, this is the heir, come let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. Now that was a true thing. In other words, the heir of the husband, they're assuming the heir is being sent because the the owner of the, of the vineyard, the landowner, has died. And so now the son is coming to collect the rent. And they said, if we kill him, we get to keep it all. And they took him and they killed him and they cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandman and will give the vineyard unto others Have ye not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and is it marvelous in our eyes? Or is it a wondrous sight? Are we amazed by this? Why are we amazed by this? It's a question. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. And they left him for a time and went their way here is a parable. And from the parable, I want you to understand that the direction sin will take you because I want you to see what applied to them applies to us. And there's a couple of different things I want you to see in this. But in starting that out, I titled it the way I did because I remembered a song that I grew up learning from the cathedral quartet. Is anybody here familiar with the cathedral quartet? Anybody at all? Okay, a couple of you, a couple of you there. The quartet sang a song. I went to the concert and heard the song, had the, had the, the, the album, the CD, the record. My parents even had a record on a record player, but it was called, Sin Will Take You Farther Than You Want to Go. And the, the words of the song said, Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to say, stay. Sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. And it's a true lyrics. That's a true statement. That's a true fact. And certainly we're going to see that here. But then I did a little studying as I was preparing for the message, and I found out that quote was originally attributed to a preacher, an evangelist named Robbie Zacharias. Any any of you familiar with Robbie Zacharias? One or two of you. Okay, Robbie Zacharias, big ministry, big-time uh, preacher, very famous and in, in certainly in Christian in some Christian circles, but he's the one that originally said that. And, and from what I was reading, that's where the words to the song came from. That quote by Robbie Zacharias. And here we see in this parable exactly that. Now I want you to see that it is a picture of God. Who plants the vineyard, Israel, and he does everything that he can do. I want you to see number one. I want you to see a pointed truth, the truth, or the the circumstances, or if you uh, uh, the context of what was going on was in this vineyard. Look at what God had done again. The picture of the of the. Owner of the certain man is a picture of God, a metaphor of God. And he planted a vineyard, which was Israel. And he did everything he could do for that vineyard to be beautiful and wonderful and productive in providing fruit. And we learn from Isaiah that it produced wild grapes, not the right grapes. They rebelled. They produced what was not intended Because man has a choice. But God did, the point truth is, is that God did for Israel and God does for you and me today and for the church by proxy, if you will, what more could he do? And you've heard me say that before in recent weeks. What more could he do? But here we see the picture again. Notice that he planted a vineyard notice that he put a hedge a wall it says a hedge that could mean thorn bushes around it for protection that could mean stones that were gathered up when they cleared the land Uh, a lot of that land was very stony ground and they gathered those stones up and made a wall of protection around it it could have been a mortared wall doesn't matter it was a border around it to protect the vineyard from the animals from those who would try to break it and steal grapes, it was there. As was a watchtower, which would have served, the tower there would have served as a watchtower and also storage. And then also he put a press and he put in there, dig a place for the wine fat for it to drain down into. He gave everything that he could have given, did everything that he could have done, blessing upon blessing upon blessing, and then said, okay, now I'm putting you in charge, the people that he, the husbandmen there, Just as he had put the religious leaders, said, now, lead the nation. Lead them to worship me. Lead them to tell others about me. Lead them to testify of the one true God of the Bible. And they didn't. We know that Israel rebelled, and Israel rejected, and Israel turned. But there was everything that could have been provided, he provided. And that leads us to point number two is a present problem. Now I say present problem because it was present when Jesus was talking and it's also present today. What applied to them by relation, by, by if we're going to apply this, it certainly applies to us. What applied to Israel then in that day certainly applies to us today, here, the church, the believers because we are now the stewards over, we are the vineyard to a certain extent. God will once again bring Israel to prominence, but God, as we read, he took away the vineyard and gave it to somebody else. And we're going to come back to that, but understand this applies to us. The problem was that sin took them farther than they ever thought they would have gone to be in the beginning. And sin in our life, sin in your life, sin in my life, will take you farther than you ever want to go. And where I get that from is with a progression of evil and violence we see in this passage. One, there is a lack of appreciation. Sin. When we think of sin, now again, sin is anything that that that, that is in opposition to God, anything that's not in agreement with God. Everything that does not meet God's standard is sin. It can be a word, it can be a thought, it can be an action, it can be an attitude. It, with any of those things, anything that goes against God and what he has set up and what he has planned and what he has said to do is a sin. But it doesn't start out with stoning people and killing people. Sin in our lives starts out so very small. And the first thing that we see, and you say, well, that doesn't say anything about appreciation. You're right. They've been given everything that they could have ever wanted to get the results they wanted. And there's no conversation here about how it wasn't providing what they wanted. And I would make the argument that they had every blessing and every profit and everything that ever could, anybody ever could have wanted because they didn't want to give up the vineyard if it had turned rotten and hadn't produced fruit and and wine and and profits for them, then they never would have wanted to keep the vineyard. But instead, they are ungrateful. And I think so often in our lives, we get to a place of sin, and we find ourselves down the road and away from God, and I think it begins so very small, where we just don't say, God, thank you your blessings we don't acknowledge him and his authority in our life and his creation of our life and all the blessings that we have in his provision that he, prov- that he that he grants upon us the goodness of God in our lives to live and breathe and have a roof over our heads and food on our table and, and everything that we have that is good comes from God and we take it for granted or we think, well, I had something to do with this. The husbandman there never would have had any profits, any fruit, anything whatsoever if the vineyard hadn't been built and given to them to begin with, to manage. And so it begins with a lack of appreciation. And so I just want to encourage you in your life, daily, constantly be thinking, God, thank you for allowing me... But my parents always told me this, and I always kind of scoffed at it, but they'd say, you know, just thank God for just another day to serve Him. And it seems like a throwaway phrase. But if we don't wake up and just thank God for another day to live and serve Him, then we're missing a chance for, to say thank you, to show appreciation. It is no little thing that you woke up this morning. You understand that, Right? And if you think it's a little thing, then think about all the ones who didn't. Think about all the ones who didn't get out of bed. Who weren't able to get in a car or leave their house and come to church or go anywhere for that matter. Think about all the ones that don't have another day to do anything. But learn to be... a appreciate and thankful and just praise God. Say, I don't have much to praise God for. You've got legs, you've got feet, you've got a body, you've got a breath, you've got a heart beating in your chest. Wherever you're at, no matter what you're going through, you've got something to praise and appreciate God for. But if you don't, then something else happens. You begin to think, what's well, it's mine to do with what I want to do with it. And not only do you have a lack of appreciation, just as they had a lack of appreciation, but then comes a lack of accountability. The landowner, the certain man, sent a servant to go and check on him and to get the rent, and they rejected him. They didn't want anybody checking on them. They didn't want the accountability of having to pay the profits from what they got. They didn't want anybody to know what profits they had gotten because they weren't grateful for what they'd been given. They started to take credit for themselves, and the sin began to creep along. Isn't it amazing? In my life, I know that when I blow it, when I blow it, the devil then creeps in and says, Man, you've blown it. You might as well just go ahead and keep on going. Right? Blow it again. You've already blown it. So one more sin ain't going to matter. And it begins to gather steam. Just like the little lie that you tell. Then it has to become a bigger lie and a bigger lie. And the next thing you know you're telling a whole bunch of lies to cover for the little lies. And the next thing you know you're farther down the road than you ever thought that you would be. And then you're in trouble and then you have anxiety and then you have stress and then you have fear that someone's going to find out because I don't want anybody to ask me any questions. I don't want anybody to know what's going on in my life. I don't want anybody to know where I'm at in my relationship to God because I wasn't grateful anyway and now I don't Want to be accountable for where I'm at or where I ought to be or for what I ought to be doing. And then when I get there and I think, you know what, I'm responsible for myself and I'm the only one I have to answer to, then there's a lack of acceptance when God begins to work in my life and God begins to send person after person, servant after servant. Now, who was God sending? In the picture of the story, who was he talking about? It was the prophets, it was the servants of God. It was the judges that he sent, and they rejected, and they rejected, and they rejected. In fact, we go and we see where different prophets were put in prison. Uh, Jeremiah, for example, and Ezekiel, their lives were threatened, put in jail. We We see them rejecting and sending them away, and it was a picture where God had sent over and over and over again messengers, servants, And they would not accept the authority of the servant or of the one sending him. Why? Because now no longer am I grateful. Now no longer am I I, I taking accountability and responsibility. But now I'm just going to reject altogether. And I'm not going to pay. I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to be doing. A lack of action on their part to Give due to the credit to whom due, a credit is due or praise is due or honor is due. And then not only that, but now I'm going to lose all self-control. My point is this. Their sin of simply not giving praise led to their beating somebody, stoning somebody, killing somebody. Sin will take you farther than you ever thought that you would go unless you repent and let God deal with your sin. Finally, of course, he sends his own son, his only son. Verse 6, having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also at last unto them, saying, they will reverence my son. Now, here's the thing. Understand, it's not a literal story. it's, It's a metaphor, But did God think that they were actually going to accept his son? No. So understand it's a story to make a point, and the point was their sin. Again, He was saying, this is what you're doing. And we would look at it and say God was hoping that they would accept his son, but we understand God never really thought they were going to accept his son. He knew what was going to happen. And that's why we get down here, and part of what he's saying here is we're amazed, but it was the Lord's doing." Verse 11, this was the Lord's doing. The Lord had this all in his sovereignty, in his plan. He knew what they would do, and he had a plan in place. But the point is this, this lack of appreciation and lack of accountability and lack of acceptance of of. of of what the responsibilities were and their actions were led to a lack of self control. And I'm telling you that that was the problem then. That was the reality of what was happening then. And Jesus is making not just a showing them a present problem, but He's giving them a prophetic promise. They rebelled against the owner. Re- so forget the story for a moment. In historical sense, they had, Israel had rebelled. The religious leaders had rebelled against the owner, God, the creator, God, the master of the universe, God. And God sent messenger after messenger, prophet after prophet, servant after servant. Some they simply drove away and rejected. Some they beat. Some they imprisoned. Some they killed. And God finally sends his son As he was doing, as Jesus was, the Son of God, is the Son of God. And they rejected him as well. You would never think, as a Christian. that see, the problem is this. The Israel never would have thought, I'm going to reject the Son of God. But they didn't believe it. You would think, as a Christian, I would never reject God. I would never turn God away, but little by little, if we don't repent of sin, that's what happened. Sin takes us farther than we want to go. We put ourselves in a place we ought not to be. We say a thing we ought not to say. We do a thing we ought not to do. And the next thing you know, now we're embarrassed that it may have been found out and now we can't go back because the devil tells us you can't go back you've blown it you've lost you you, you've killed any chance you've ever had and your reputation is blown and now you're going to be embarrassed to go back into church you're going to be embarrassed to go back and be around Christians because oh what are they going to say but I'm telling you listen
1: it all begins with just a little sin it's a present problem today because what God says was,
0: what Jesus said was, what do you think the landowner would do? And if we read in other gospels, the people said, not the the Sanhedrin, but people said, he's going to come and he's going to kill them. He's going to come and judge them, and that's exactly what he's going to do. And he says he will come, verse 9, and destroy the husbandmen and give the vineyard to others. The prophetic promise of Jesus was, in the, was then taking place. They rebelled against God They rejected the cornerstone, as we see down here, where it says in verse 10, Have you not read the scripture? The stone which the builders rejected is the head of the corner. That was Jesus Christ. That was the Son of God. He is the cornerstone. And the idea was this. There was a cornerstone that builders, when they would build a house, they put the cornerstone there that keeps everything square and plumb. But they rejected the very foundation. They rejected the very thing that was going to keep them straight. They said, We don't want it. Why? Because they didn't want to lose what they claimed was theirs because they never gave appreciation and thanks anyway, and therefore they thought they were the ones responsible for it, but they weren't. And God says that there is going to come a judgment and a catastrophe, and you will be removed and judged and even destroyed. And for those who reject Jesus Christ... That's exactly what has happened or will happen. I say it's a problem then, it's a problem today. That happened to Israel because understand that literally less than 100 years later, in fact, approximately 50 years later, Rome destroyed Jerusalem. And Jerusalem ceased to be a nation until last century, 1900s. Right? Here's the thing I want you to understand. If God came in because they rebelled and rejected, and He removed them as heir, because why? They refused to acknowledge. They refused to accept responsibility. They refused to to do the actions they were supposed to do. They rejected the landowner and killed his son, thinking if I can just remove him, then I will be able to reclaim my life, my thing. And the Israel's leaders, the Jewish leaders, thought, hey, here comes this Jesus, and he's trying to take away our power, trying to take away our position And if we simply get rid of him, we can reclaim what we think is rightfully ours and do what we want to do. That was happening then, and today the same thing happens. We think if I just, I'm not appreciative, and then sin carries me a little bit farther, and then now I'm not accepting responsibility, and now I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and now I'm actually rejecting, and I'm turning away from God, and we wonder how sin got us that far, but it does It's a prophetic promise that will happen in your life if you don't repent of the sin and you think, I'm just going to reclaim my life as my own. But your life is not your own. And the consequence comes and judgment comes and your testimony is damaged as Israel's was and then the position is taken away and given to another. It was all prophesied and you say, well... The prophecy was what? The prophecy was they were going to reject Jesus, and they did. The prophecy, the cornerstone, the prophecy was their position was going to be taken away and it was Jerusalem was destroyed and Israel as the hands and feet of God was given then to the church which Jesus built and we now are the hands and feet of God. But if we don't take response don't show appreciation to god and if we therefore get farther down the road and we begin to reject responsibility and not do what we're supposed to be
1: doing what will god do to us that's the question because here's the really unique thing israel
0: had roughly 1900 years From the call of Abraham to the destruction of
1: Jerusalem, around A.D. 90, 1,900 years. From A.D. 90 to 2023,
0: how many years? A little bit more than 1,900 years. God's church will never pass away, and the gates of hell will not be able to come against it. But in our lives, we as a church, as a local church, we as church is... If we don't stand on the truth and give appreciation to God for all that He has given us and for who He is and be accountable to Him, sin will take us farther and farther and farther. And we could argue that as far as the physical church, not not the spiritual church, the physical church has lost its power, its voice, its position. It's not that hell is going to conquer the church. My point is this. The church got silent during the 50s and the 60s and the 70s in particular. And probably before that. Because it started with little things. And I don't have time this morning to get into where exactly it might have started. But it certainly did. And now we're farther down the road than we ever thought we would be. And we say, what happened?
1: started so small and so I don't like where I'm at then repent
0: as a church give credit to God and just God thank you for what we have and thank you for where we're at and thank you for the blessings that you've given and thank you that you've given everything that we need and
1: everything that we have that is good And return to him. There was a prophetic promise of a
0: catastrophe and a consequence and the commissioning of the church. That was the one that was given to somebody else. But I want you to see this last thing and I'm done because here's the beautiful picture that I want you to see amidst the reality that sin will take you farther than you want to go is a powerful hope of mercy of grace of patience of providence of salvation look back if you would and see God said here it is work the field and then in At that season, now, if they were following Levitical law, it would have been in the fifth year he sends the servant. I don't have time to get all to take you back to the law that was given and so forth and so on. But in the fifth year, that's when they would go and collect. They gave time for the grapes to grow and time for them to begin producing a product. And then he goes to get what was his. But notice how many he sent. Notice he sent a servant and he was beaten. But he sent another servant and he was stoned. And then it doesn't count how many servants, but many were either beaten or killed. God gave them word after word after word servant after servant after servant chance after chance after chance because the wonderful thing about God is although we don't like to think about his wrath and his judgment and his and the, and the consequence that comes when we don't show him the praise and the appreciation that he has worthy of that we get farther down the road than we ever thought we would get in our sin life is that god is patient and merciful and gracious and he provides all that we need to come back to him just do what he's called us to do just turn to the one that paid the price and say i'm sorry i'm wrong god forgive me and it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been or how long it's been or how big it is or how little it is, doesn't matter how far down the road you are, there's mercy and grace and patience and salvation available for you. God, knowing everything that would ever take place, knowing every action of this preacher, from the time he was before he was born to the time that he dies, knows all the times that I've Not shown appreciation, knows all the times that I've not taken accountability, knows all the times that I've not done the right actions, knows all the times that I've gotten so far down the road I don't know how I'm gonna get back, but he's brought me back, he's led me back, he's welcomed me back, and he will do the same for you there is hope a powerful hope and that's the wonderful thing although it was a picture of what israel was doing and we can apply it to the church today and say oh let this not be true of us the point is that even when it is it's not too late to come back and to be what we ought to be and to do what we ought to do and not reject
1: our lord and savior I close with this. If we're not careful and we don't repent, we'll end up not where we want to be.
0: We'll end up far farther than we ever thought we would go. And the cost will be far greater than we ever want to pay. Remember Robbie Zacharias? Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will cost you far more or take longer than you want to stay. Sin will cost you
1: far more than you want to pay. At the end of Robbie Zacharias's life, he fell.
0: Shortly before he died, there was outrage over. Sexual indiscretion that he had made, sexual harassment, sexual assault that he had done. A great preacher, a great minister. You never would have thought in listening to Robbie Zacharias that he would end up where he did. Now, Ravi Zacharias, where he stands in eternity, he's, he's
1: dead and gone now. And the world will say, look at, see, so-called Christian.
0: His testimony irreparably damaged in the eyes of many. Paul talks about different ones. Demas in the Bible that was a follower. But now his love of the world has drawn him away. Judas. Listened to Jesus Christ for three years and did miracles and did works and did wonders. But he died at his own hands in a hangman's noose after betraying our Savior. Don't let sin take you farther than you want to go. Don't let sin keep you longer than you want to stay. Don't let sin cost you far more than you want to pay. Show him the appreciation. Show him, be accountable to God. Be accountable to people that God puts in your life. Do what God has called you to do so that you don't have time to stray. Oh, don't let sin take you away farther down the road than you ever would dream. But claim the powerful promise of hope, of grace, of mercy, of love, of blessing that God has for you. Oh, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through, wherever you're at in life, it is a loving God to whom you can turn. A loving God to whom you will fall down, you can fall down at his feet and say, God, I'm sorry. Or say, God, I need your help. Or say, God, pick me up. Or God, just draw me close. Won't we claim the powerful promises so that we don't end up farther than we ever intended to go? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us today. God, help us to. Father, draw us close to you. Keep us close to your feet, holding your hand.
1: But God when we stray when we forget when we do just even a little thing
0: but it's against you we thank you that you send the messengers you send the preacher you send the servant to warn us to draw us back to tell us That you don't just leave us where we're at. But God, most of all, thank you for sending your son to save us. God, if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that's never turned to you for salvation, that they would today. But God, if there's somebody here today that's down down the road of sin, (coughs) that they would turn to you and that you would draw them back. Father, even if it's something just simple as not showing the praise and the credit and the honor that is due. Help us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We thank you for listening to this message from the Word of God. At Pleasant Hill, we desire to be a help and a blessing to you. If you have any questions or prayer requests, or if we can be a help to you in your walk with God, we invite you to contact us here at Pleasant Hill by visiting our website at phbc.online. Thank you, and may God bless you.